Hey boomers, it's that time again. It's been another fortnight. That means it's time for another installment of your fortnightly online guide to the Sega Sessional world of the 1990s and the UK's official Sega comic, Sonic the Comic! Yes! <laughs> we, as ever, are your humes who think we're in charge. My name is Chris McFeeling. My name's Dave Bulmer and we've got a guest on this episode! Hello, this is Selena Thomas, who you've heard before um, because she went to UCAC. UCAC, I did. I made a toilet yeah. roll ball. <laughs> <laughs> did oh, yeah. that stay in the finished I'm episode? I'm not sure it did. <laughs> so we had a hotel overnight. I forgot somewhere. This is how cool I am. Um, I made a ball of toilet paper from the hotel. What? Painted it blue and wrote on it UK Comic Art Convention. <laughs> and I've got that in my box too. <laughs> why, why did you do that? It's over here. Because I'm infinitely cool. <laughs> oh, I've got to have some souvenir so bog that's my roll. <laughs> <laughs> We're here with uh, issue number 76 led the big parade. of Sonic the Comic, cover dated April 26th, but released on April 13th. But before we get too deeply into it, as we always like to ask our guests, Selena, tell the people who you are and how you came to Sonic the Comic. Okay, hello. I am an old school original STC reader. The reason I was dragged onto this particular podcast is because I told Dave about my nefarious intro to the comic world with STC. Because the first time I read STC was I'd walked into the post office in our local village and there was another magazine that had like the little preview comic. Yes. And I stole the magazine because <gasps> I didn't have the money. <laughs> and it was I'd the forgot- only thing. <laughs> I had forgotten what the story was. So it that was hit the me anew. The only thing I have ever <laughs> stolen in my whole entire life. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Ginny. <laughs> Outrageous. I can't condone this. I know. I'm... I should have been briefed. The police have been contacted. That comes as a genuine surprise. I don't think of you as any kind of crim. No, well, you know, I've got a record, man. No, yeah. so I stole it and I have that little preview. <laughs> I have that preview comic and that's the one I got signed at UCAC, in fact. Oh, that's so crim. That's so <laughs> You, were... so you made. signs. Stolen goods. You made Richard Elson and Nigel Kitching and my man Carl Flint. That's my man. And all of the others. You made them sign stolen, stolen goods. goods. Accessories. <laughs> so now they're all accessories to, yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. That means, that, wait, <laughs> does that mean that we're all in a gang now together? A criminal gang? I Us so. and the STC guys? I think, yeah, I think if I'm going down, we're taking, I'm taking you all with me. What would our gang name be? <laughs> oh. Supersonic Warriors. <laughs> Warriors. <laughs> Come on, try and play. That is because, as a child, I briefly attempted to call me and a couple of STC fan friends the Supersonic Warriors, and it went down like a lead balloon. They were not interested in being called that. <laughs> Rightly so, I think they weren't. They weren't cool enough yet to no, fully no, appreciate no. it. You know. No. <laughs> What 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 was it that made you be like this is the item I will steal in my life? This is the one. <laughs> this is what I will break the law for. It was Sonic. Was it was it a no? Was it were you like, "Mom, can I have this comic?" and it was a no. No, so I had no pocket money. Ah, uh, right. Yeah, so you were just there. No <laughs> so pocket very money. important. Yes. Got to have uh, the thing. And I couldn't just wait. My dad was picking you, me no. up and I couldn't just wait. 
No. Because he would have bought it for me. Like, that was fine. That was no question. But it was there and it might not be there later. Right. Because clearly it's such a high ticket item. <laughs> yeah, no, I understand that. I had a couple of methods for this. Stealing? <laughs> I never went as far. A couple of methods for stealing? Never went as far as what I thought of as stealing. Okay. <laughs> right. Well, not to the best of my recollection, Your Honor. What, what I would do is, if it was something like that, firstly, I would just put it right at the back of some oh, unrelated, stealing. boring sure. thing. Do you know what I mean? So, like, back, back of the Reader's Digests or whatever, where no kid would go. No, the, the one to which I refer as not what I thought of as stealing was uh, when, you know, do you remember the school book fair? Did you both have them? Yes. Yeah. And it was one of the first times that they had this, and so they got the big steel containers out. They were on the stage area of the school dining hall for a couple of days before they opened up, and we were going absolutely mad. Finally, they open it up, First thing in the morning, we go in there, we have a look what there is. But now, we, but you know, they give us a few minutes before registration, but we, we haven't got our money with our parents on here. They're coming at the end of school. That's when we'll go, Mama want this, Mama want this. Well, they had. I'll show you what they had. I've got it right here. Wait a minute. Still got this stolen property to this day. <laughs> they had this. Mario <gasps> battles that. against Bowser. Uh, one of the four... Here in the UK, we had four trades of the Valiant Nintendo comics. Uh. So what I did, because I was desperate, this was when I was at the height of my Mario fandom. The book fair was at the top of the dining hall where there was a stage area, right? And that area also served as kind of the school library. It was a primary school. They just crammed everything in that they could. So there were shelves, like essentially like, essentially there were books on the windowsill around this area of the... So I took a copy of the book, out mm -hmm. of the thing. Mm -hmm. And I slid it between similar-looking books in the school library, ah. which was never used. Not a single one of those books had been touched by human hand in the entire time I was at the school. But it was all just there to show we had a library. Presumably you had to demonstrate you had one to be a primary school. I don't know. <laughs> and sure enough, when I got back, it was gone! Someone <laughs> found it! See, this is why I just stole it. Yeah. I mean, look, I ended up with the book. Like, they had a copy. It. They'd put it back on the shelf and I bought it. Yeah, they'd watched you. They'd watched you do that yeah. and yeah. put it right back immediately. Yeah. You were no sneaky child. No. Yeah, you thought you were being super sneaky. That's the only explanation. I can't like, imagine there's... Dave Bulmer successfully sneaking <laughs> anywhere, you know? Can you? <laughs> <laughs> it's like you couldn't imagine me successfully sneaking anywhere. I'm too big. <laughs> and I'm going... Yep, Providing a soundtrack to your sneakery. My mum says that she never once lost me in a shop because she would just listen. <laughs> uh, anyway, what are we on about? Oh, stealing. Theft. Yeah. Theft. That's who you are. I've known Selena for absolute ages because she used to be in our little gang of online STC fans back in the 90s. And we used to meet up sometimes. We went to Alton Towers, didn't we, when we were 18 we or whatever? We did. I remember a very, very long phone call. You phoned me, which was like a big deal back in the day. Oh, back then, yeah. Oh, did I? Yeah. I remember we spoke on the phone for hours and my mum was like, oh, you know, Dave. And I was like, no. Because <laughs> you were already like super with Abby at that time. Like, yeah, you got a couple of hours out of me, and then Abby would get like five hours a week. Yes, I Aww. I did abuse the phone uh, bill in those days. It's true. Oh, I did the same. Way before internet was like so accessible. Mm. I'm sorry, Sal, I don't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that's like one of my like formative memories. <laughs> oh dear. Well, uh, anytime you think of anything else we talked about on that call, tell me. And I'll be like, oh, that was when we talked about that. But yeah, we were on the mailing list. Made the STC mm. mailing list. Yes, I used to run an STC online email service. <laughs> and uh, 
and we all just used to chat about SDC because nobody else did. All the Americans were going on about Archie. <coughs> Ding. So that's who Selena is. More from her as we go on. Yeah, should we chat about some SDC now? Let's do it, because we've got a good cover here. Mm. Ooh, this cover! Dave, it's a good cover. You said it was a good cover, but you know what it is? What is it? Specifically, and it took me a moment to realise what I was looking at. I was finally looking at a Richard Elson cover that actually reflects the story story content of the the issue. How long has it been since they published a cover that was actually not just an abstract representation of the idea of what was going on inside it? That's significant. Yes, you're right. Because obviously that becomes pretty standard in the future of the comic. Richard Elson covers directly reflecting the story content of the comics. Oh, does it? Oh, good. Oh, how nice. But not yet, you know. But here's one. And what it is, is, is Sonic angrily pointing his finger at Porker Lewis, who... Hands in pockets is uh, sadly walking uh, towards camera, walking away. And then uh, Tails is beside Sonic looking shocked. Amy is beside Sonic looking angry. At Sonic, yeah. And Johnny's beside Sonic making that one face Johnny makes. All right, but it's a sympathetic look towards Porker (laughs) as he goes away. Yeah, it's a great picture because there's so much storytelling going on. Mm. You can, you know, like, if you just stare at this cover for long enough and think about it enough, you know everything that's going to happen in the issue. They must have realised this was a significant story when they were mm. writing it, you know? It's like the biggest change to the status quo. I mean, it's, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, I mean, it's mm. not really. I mean, it's, it, 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 but it Felt is like it, one of the, it certainly did. But it's got to be one of the most, like, significant changes to the status quo since they got booted out of their base, right? Oh, yes. Definitely. We've had some big stories since then. Mm -hmm. The Sonic and Knuckles adaptation, the Brotherhood of Metallics. But things pretty, apart from the rise and fall of the Death Egg, things pretty much reset to Sonic and co. in their caravan, traveling around the planet, taking care of Robotnik, you know. But, you know, this is is a change to... uh, to the status quo. It's a very serious moment, undermined only by the caption. <laughs> yes, I was about to say. <laughs> Porker gets the chop in like the a pork big... chop, like a pig's chop. <laughs> it's good though. I do approve. I must yes. say, because because that's a proper pun. That's a proper pun because it is about him being pork, and it's also what happens. Yes, good. <laughs> The comic also has Tails, Knuckles, and Echo the Dolphin Q-Zone, and a Spikes the Bad Nick pinup. Yeah. Control Zone! It's not the most exciting Control Zone ever. I mean, they're never mm. tremendously exciting whenever the only feature outside of Megadroid's little intro box is the results of a competition. Mm. I was quite excited when I opened it, purely because of the fact that the font size has gone down again, which reminds me of the good old days, but I think it's just so they could fit all those competition winners. Get in. all the <laughs> names in, yeah. Shocking, indeed, that there were so many names to print, given that these are the results of the Carnation Street competition from issue 67. You can't help but wonder if it was like everyone across all of every Fleetway publication that entered. (laughs) Surely this many readers of Sonic the Comic can't have wanted... I mean, it even says the following 30 winners will each receive a much sought-after Jack and Vera t-shirt. No, it's not... XL size only. I take that as a bit of sarcasm. Surely no... 
Nobody could have possibly wanted these prizes. Look at some of these names. Like I know Mrs. P. I know a T-shirt, and Mrs. R. Jenkinson has won a tape. You know that was people's moms. <laughs> yeah, Mrs. J. Normington. I mean, that's a made-up name. That's a made-up name of someone who enters contests to get Coronation Street T-shirts. Mrs. J. Normington. Mrs. Trellis of North Wales. <laughs> Anyway, this isn't interesting, but it is it's <laughs> stupid. It's called Street Cred as well. Yeah. Which is fantastic. How to make Carnation Street cool in the 90s. <laughs> they did not succeed. <laughs> but that was the great thing about that competition. Great, in air quotes. In that it knew it wasn't. And it was like it quietly was admitting it, even in the promotion <laughs> yeah. for the comic, that it knew it wasn't cool. <laughs> congratulations to the winners and thank you to everybody who entered and that feels very genuine it's like thank you thank you for humoring us thank you for tolerating this intrusion we were gonna get in trouble if you didn't (laughs) but we jumped over megadroid we did sorry megadroid what's megadroid say uh just because i'm a droid it doesn't mean my circuits aren't choked by what's happening on the front cover i always said i was a, a unique droid Okay. I don't know. Is it really not necessary, Megadroid? No, not at all. Trying quite hard there. Can Porker really be taking his final faltering steps as a freedom fighter? Find out two issues ago in the knuckle strip. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They accidentally printed it wrong. Whoops. (laughs) You'll just have to read the Sonic story, The Big Decision, to find out. And then he Mm. lists off the rest of the contents of the issue. And there's not even even any puns in this one, honestly. It's just, this is what's in it and that's it. Yeah, no, nothing interesting to be found at all. Except the preview that no boomer worth their weight in gold rings. Ah, gold rings, do you get it because of Sonic? Would pass up the next megatitious issue. Hmm. STC 77 comes complete with free button covers. Oh man, Ooh. talk about raising you up only to dash you down. Can't like wait! My little cotton socks are dancing around on their own. Megatitious. You try, don't you? It's like it's no longer acceptable to just refer to something as mega. It's gotta be mega something, megatitious, megarific. What is titious? Uh, titious, thick, fictitious, um... I don't know. It seems a little more abstract. Titius is nothing. That's what the problem here is. Well, Mega isn't anything either, really, is it? I suppose. <laughs> Put it like that, in a way, yeah. Megatastic, Megarific, Megatacular. There's a few. There's a few for you. Take you back to the 90s with that. <laughs> Uh, anyway, button covers. Speaking of yeah. which, it's about time I buttoned up. So I'll see yeah. you all in two weeks. And so should we. So let's move on to the bigger shots. Uh, not a lot going on that's much different. Premier Manager's gone down Way. in favour of Micro Machines. That's good. Street Racer, <laughs> uh, re-entry at 10. That's the one with the that I thought was going to be a big CD game and was just a stupid cart game. <laughs> Master of Darkness. Mandrake. New at number four on the Master System, which, again, calls into question exactly what these charts mean, because obviously they're not making new Master System games in 1994. Six... No, it can't have been. But no, not not much here. But the charts are a good excuse to ask our guest. Any games on here you had? Or what consoles did you have back in the day? All of them. Miss oh. <laughs> <laughs> Fancy Sega fan. I'm an only child. Oh, right. <laughs> I was very spoiled. And I went from the NES to the Mega Drive to the Game Boy to the Game Gear. Like, I alternated between Nintendo and Sega the whole way through my childhood. Yeah, same. I only got a Sega CD. I remember it so vividly. I got a Mega CD. Because in a magazine, there was a picture of the new Sonic emblem, Mm. which wasn't the white spikies anymore. It was gold spikies. 
Yeah. And it was like 3D. And, and too many of them as well. Yes, lots of them. Very spiky. Um, and I was just like, I, I, I need this. This mm. is, I need this. So I begged and begged and begged. And that Christmas I got a Mega CD. And to this day, I think I have probably two Mega CD games. Sonic CD. Sonic CD. And um, did it come with a CD that was like columns and golden axe and stuff? Well, hang on. Let me check the old encyclopedia that we've been going to so often at this point in the podcast. Yeah, it looks like that was Sega Classics Arcade Collection. Specifically, you would have had the European version of the disc. It says here, the American version of the disc, as wonderful as it may be to receive a couple of music CDs with your new games console, it's probably not too entitled to maybe hope for a game or two bundled in there as well. <laughs> That's why, along with rock paintings and hot hits, two music CDs, I guess, must have come with the Sega CD in America. North American Sega CDs also launched with Sega Classics Arcade Collection included. This compilation CD included four... Genesis games, with the apparent theme being that they were all begging arcades too, uh, except one of them. The games included are Golden Axe, The Revenge of Shinobi, Columns, and Streets of Rage, and while they're mostly identical to their cartridge counterparts, there have been some improvements to the sound. The game was included in a double CD box along with a copy of Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective. But then when it came over to Europe, it had been decided to sweeten the deal a little further by including a fifth game, Super Monaco GP. As with the four-game version, some of the games were given audio tweaks. Specifically, Golden Axe had its music replaced with the arcade version's music, oh. played as CD audio. This would be interesting to you, while both it and Streets of Rage had some of the voice samples, mainly enemy death noises, replaced with far higher quality ones. Well, I think I did better on the Mega CD than I did the 32X, which I literally only own one game for, which is... Oh, what was that? Chaotix. Oh, of course. Well, of course. which one was that? A, of course it was. Of course, <laughs> which one? Of course it was. What else was there? But, no, I ha like, I just mentally couldn't believe that I was talking <laughs> to somebody who owned Chaotix for a second there. Those people, nope. Those people don't exist. I bought Chaotix before I had a Mega CD. <laughs> a 32X. Oh, yeah, sorry, a 32X. I bought Chaotix before I got the 32X, yeah. Because I found it, and I was just like, I need this. It was really hard to find at that point. Did you get one in the end? I've got a 32X, and I have Chaotix, and I have played a bit of Chaotix, I guess, in an arcade <laughs> once, and it's... <laughs> it's really bad yes <laughs> it is and i hate to say that plus i was angry because knack wasn't in it <laughs> yeah exactly and growing up knack was part of the chaotic oh god you're a big knack fan you'll have got it just for knack i suppose will you and he's not even in it uh, no i did did know he was not okay. in it i was angry about well, that right sure no i was very angry about that because of course he was very much a part of chaotic's nest of course, thing, of course. and that was like my formative sonic Life. When we slagged off Chaotix on the show, I think someone said that it's a bit better if you're playing it two-player, because that's what the mechanic's meant for. Is that... Most likely, because it is the whole bouncing ring yeah. thing. I'm an only child, I reiterate, so <laughs> I never got to play it with other people. Next time we're around <laughs> your way, we'll... Uh, not that we've ever been around your way, except <laughs> once when we were 20 or whatever, but next time we are, we'll play Chaotix. <laughs> The Big Decision Written by Nigel Kitching, art by Richard Elson, letters by Ellie DeVille Having had a nervous breakdown after his experience with the Brotherhood of Metallics, Porker Lewis announces that he is quitting the Freedom Fighters. Sonic takes the news badly, angrily accusing Porker of going soft and storms off. But when the Hedgehog is then ambushed by some trooper badniks, it's Porker's ingenuity that saves the day as he fries the robot's circuits with electricity and water. 
Sonic apologises for flying off the handle, and the two part on good terms as Porker leaves for his new home on the floating island. Bless his little piggy heart. Aww. So this should absolutely 100% definitely have been the issue right after the end of Brotherhood of Metallic, shouldn't it? Yes, it should. Yes, it should. And that would have meant that when they referenced it two knuckleses ago, that would have made sense as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, never mind. <laughs> Not ju- I mean, uh, what have we had since? We've had that Mark Miller from back down the sofa. Miller filler. We had the Loose Stringer one, which only was about Sonic, Johnny and Amy having their little Metropolis Zone adventure because Brutus was missing. That was a, it was a porkerless story, was my point. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. And we have had Smokey and the Badnik just last issue. Yeah, yeah. From Kitching and Elson. And, you know, you could have published that right after. Mm-hmm. Because it's told from another character's perspective for part of it, and it's kind of an end in between one and um, It's the fact that there's also a scene in this of the Chaotix crew leaving as if mm. this is genuinely just an hour later after the end of Return mm. of Chaotix. Yeah, just wrapping up that story, yeah. I never noticed that before, you know. Like, now that you bring it up, yeah, of course this is the next episode. It's so clear. This is the epilogue, if you will. Yeah, were we not saying at the time, when that story finished, like, it could do with an... And it says the end! It's got a the end on it, yeah. This is the end you were looking for. This is the little extra bit, because I, I remember us feeling like it was a bit rushed at the end. And that's because this is the end. Well, no, it still was. <laughs> because, you know, the tie-up that this does is is its own separate yeah. little epilogue bit of tie But no, no, not only does this have a the end at the end of it, it has an entirely silent final panel for the enormity of what has occurred yeah. to be allowed to sink into you in a moment of silence and reflection. More of that, please and thank you. Mm. When you're putting together your fan compilations to actors' trades... Yes, your graphic novel collections, yeah. move this up. This goes <laughs> at the end of that story, yeah. Mm. Do you remember this, Selena? I remembered it vividly. Like, not so much the others in the comic, but I remember this one vividly. I remember thinking Sonic was so harsh it was so nice to see this other side of sonic mm. he wasn't just the the cool dude you know he really has grown well this is what do you mean other side of sonic <laughs> social media has shared this image around constantly from young people and americans who tells me this is the way sonic always behaves in this comic and this is a full and totally truly accurate reflection of his personality is is that not have i been misled by <laughs> context panels of sonic the comic it is interesting the way you chose to describe it there is like it's good to see this other side of Sonic, because it is. But this is used against us. This is what the Americans used to show that ours was wrong. And that's wrong. But, I mean, this one is violently ripped out of context. Mm. With STC, it started dumb. Mm-hmm. Like, all the annuals were, and it started silly, and here's Robotnik and Badniks. Yeah. And it developed, and it allowed the characters to develop. You got to know the characters, and then when you have these moments, like, this this is a huge monumental moment with Porker. Yeah. And it's a very real human moment. It's almost as though the kids grew up with it and they developed the story with it and yeah. it just became a bigger thing. So it stopped being, oh, Sonic just bopped a bad neck and oh, look, haha, Eggman or Robotnik, mm. I guess. And it became so big and it took us with it. Whereas the Archie one always seemed from the outset to be darker. I mean, I'm a Satan fan. I like edgy, I like dark, I certainly did. I just loved that moment where it was like, he's not just this chili dog eating, Mm. cool dude, he is human and he has flaws. Yes. Well, that's the thing, it's like, Sonic is the bad guy in this strip, and the strip acknowledges that the other characters are like, Sonic, will you 
back off Porker. Amy yeah. steps in between them, gets the hands up, you know. The other characters all, like, rally to Porker's side in this. You know, mm. this is not... Uh, I don't, I don't want to go on too long about pulling it out of context because we have to endure enough of that on the reg. Yeah, to some extent we have to, though, because it's about... it's Right, it's about, it's about basic reading comprehension is what it is. Mm. So there are people out there who think that this story essentially, like, proves or is the smoking gun that STC Sonic was an asshole. And I want those people, if they hear this, <laughs> I want those people to really think about what they're proposing here. Because the only reason to say it is if you're incredulous about it. Like, you're saying, can you believe that this was so backwards that it made Sonic just an asshole? And you've answered your own question. No, you can't believe it. It wouldn't happen. So what did? What happened is... That the character was written so complexly that he has flaws which are sometimes visible, never more so than on this occasion, Mm. where this is a story about, like, a usually cocksure hero who has the abilities to fight Robotnik in his sleep. He's really competent and able to do this job. And here he's made to face the reality that the lifestyle that he essentially has come to expect from anyone who allies with him is more than it is reasonable to ask of someone, and he has to grapple with the paradox of it being too much to ask and of it being necessary under a dictatorship, and he's suffering, I think, his first real loss. Yeah. Because he's losing... Porker is one of his oldest friends, yes. and to him, he's essentially feeling that Porker's abandoning him, walking away from him. Like Yeah. And he's got the huff about that in the same way that, you know, we were starting to enter the age where if a friend let us down in some way, we would have got a massive huff on compared to how we would have before. (laughs) But also part of Sonic's own self-image is being shattered here. Like he's finding out he is, I don't know, asking his friends to do things you shouldn't ask your friends to do. And he's bad at dealing with it. And his friends, like you said, call him out on it. And they stay his friends. It's not that this is a backwards comic that wrote him wrong as an asshole. It's that this is the best and most well-developed version of the character. That's what this is, artists. (laughs) I like how he frames it like when he storms off. It's not about his feelings. He frames it all Mm -hmm. in, in it being that Porker's giving up the fight. You yeah, know, he storms off going, right, fine, if anybody else gets a bit tired of fighting for Mobius' freedom, be sure and let me know. Mm. Boom, door off, hinges, drop. That's so you know. manipulative. That's it's so... so manipulative. You can see, though, that he has a point to him. It's like, well, what are we doing then? We're not, we're not friends, we're saving the Earth. And you can see why he thinks that, but it is wrong of him. Oh, it's great, this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> This is the sort of strip that, if it was like an episode of Doctor Who, mm-hmm. where the Doctor was expecting yes. the companions to like do this stuff with him, knowing that he is yes. immortal, essentially, it's the same thing. Just not comprehending that they might have other perspectives on yes. the matter, and they might be fallible and scared. Yes, and they've done that on Doctor Who loads of times, where the, the companion has to leave just because it's really dangerous and whatnot, and or they want to yeah. live a normal life, and... Yeah, there is always this moment of reflection with the Doctor there. And that's good, but this isn't, apparently. (laughs) And, you know, not to jump right to the end of the strip, but to jump right to the end of the strip. Um, (laughs) You know, things wrap up with Sonic... He tries to apologize. Yes. Like he knows he's wrong. Yes. And apologizing is something Sonic like almost never does. Yeah. 
He can't do it. Almost. Even when proven to be in the wrong about something, you know, yeah. he, you know, we've had a few instances of him aciding to himself, not that I'd ever tell yeah. Knuckles that I could use his help or that he's handy in a fight or whatever moments like that. He keeps, he keeps that stuff. He keeps the idea that he needs people. And, you know, it's like, even in this, whenever he feels like let down by Porker, he externalizes it, frames it all about the fight for Mobius. It's not about how he personally feels like his friend is letting him down. He keeps that stuff inside. And he's, he's, we wrap up with Porker, you know, getting his, getting his little traveling rucksack on getting, and getting ready to get, hop on the biplane for Tails to take him to the island. Sonic's, uh, Porker, uh, you know, what I was saying before about you being soft, you know, uh, I just want to say, and then Porker, Por but Porker knows this is hard for Sonic, but yeah. he knows what Sonic wants to say and he steps in to say, it's forgotten, Sonic. And besides, I am soft. And that, I, love I love that. Because he is soft. Oh, so We've good. always known Porker is soft. Yeah. But no, but it's like, there's something even about the word soft, you know, where it's like, yeah, Porker is, he's a soft boy. <laughs> you know, that's what Porker <laughs> Well, it's because... Is. Not soft the way Sonic means it. He's a soft boy. What's happening here is that because Sonic the Hedgehog, the emblem, the mascot, the icon, is very little, or at least back then maybe, was very little other than cool attitude. and got attitude, yeah. Hmm. That is, all of that is a sort of like favourable presentation of toxic masculinity. That is a character that's going like, yeah, I'm the best, I'm the best. It was the 90s, what can you say, you know? And what we have here is a story that not only acknowledges that and calls him on it, and brings him to a point where he can realise it in himself and apologise for it. But here is this man who is outside that and is so confident within himself that he can say, oh yeah, no, I'm not that. I'm not that masculine. I'm soft. And he can admit that, and he's the protagonist of this story, basically. And then Sonic follows up his admission of that by putting his hand yes. on his shoulder and telling Porker, buddy, we wouldn't have you any other way. Then He hops on the plane, I'll see you around. Count on it, Porker. And then a silent oh. panel of him flying off into While the... While Sonic waves at the plane. This is the most character-driven story that Sonic the comic has done up to this point. This is the most mature story that Sonic the comic has ever done. It's just brilliant. Emotionally mature. Yeah. Yeah, because the fight isn't the point of the story at all. Yeah, the fighting, that is to say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, so much so that, you know, we just jumped over the four pages yeah. talking about it. But yeah. Mm-hmm. It's two friends not breaking up, but having to come to terms with a difference between them that makes their status quo, their situation together, untenable. And it's just an incompatibility that they have. And they work it out. This is brilliant. This is really hard. This is something that it is very hard for boys to do. <laughs> and to see it played out like this is so good. And that's why it stings so much to see... The opening conflict setup Shocker. spread around as an example of bad writing, yeah. divorced from the conclusion that, that, I mean, I think that even the opening shows that it's actually good writing, but the conclusion cements it as good writing. This is one of the best ones I, I think they've ever had in mm. this comic. And it's a one shot. It's literally just this, what, six pages were they? Seven. Seven. Seven! Seven pages. It's just, yeah. it tells so much in this tiny story. Yeah. Do you know, it really does, and it stands alone in a way that, even though it is the epilogue to a big epic story... Mm -hmm. No, you have all the full context for what, what has happened and everything, yeah. and you just go into it and read it, yeah. Mm. And in the middle, I never thought about it this deeply before now, but what happens in between these two scenes, the opening and the closing act, 
is that there is this bit where, yeah, some troopers show up and they attack Sonic and he's concussed and he isn't able to win the day in that moment. So Porker has to be like, right, what have I got? Because he's still hidden in the caravan. Mm. What have I got? What have I got? Okay, I've got these cables. The power source for the whole caravan go through these cables. There's puddles on the ground. The troopers are standing in puddles. Okay, so he puts them in there. So he's used his scientific thinking to save the day. I have to be honest. I do wish that the solution he found to this problem was a bit more uniquely Porker. Because any bugger could have <laughs> figured that to stick electric wires in, in the pot. I mean, yeah, I guess so. You know, it, it's a, and it's really fortunate that the troopers are all precisely placed to just be standing in the one standing log in the puddle. puddle that Sonic <laughs> yeah. and the others aren't in. Do you know what I do like, though, actually, just as far as the puddle goes and what a nice bit of clever visual storytelling is, is that it's evident throughout the strip that it's been <laughs> yeah. raining recently. Yeah. So you see the water running off of everything. They've got the tarp over the plane and everything to keep it dry you know and, and that's why yeah. there's a puddle but they never feel the need to call it out in narration like you might no. expect a strip man no i always wonder if at the end of the um, brotherhood of metallic story y- you saw that it was raining in the last panel or something <laughs> <laughs> the point that i was getting to though is that what happens what this thing is that they have to solve is something that up until just recently was the big boy bad guys it was the troopers who, uh, okay, Brutus was much bigger than them, but they're bigger than Badniks. They're the big threat that Robotnik has been able to conquer the world with. And yet in this story, they come along and they just feel like nothing because, A, we've just had all those metallics in, and B, they're so small compared to the emotional problem these people are going through that when they turn up, and they do rough people up. Look at that great panel of him giving Sonic a punch. So (laughs) good. The dynamism full blown on Sal Bashima, full body turn, body flying the back. The movement of that arm, yeah. And it just it just goes to show this is what they're doing. It's become completely normal. It's just they're always going to be under attack from something. If you just look out the door, there'll be something. And yeah, Porker is absolutely well within his rights. He's put in several years now. He is allowed to step away if he wants to. And he doesn't go without helping out this one time. While he's there, he'll always help. That's why he needs to get away, because he'll always help. He'll always make these sacrifices. And right now, things are okay. Things are settled. It's just some troopers. We can deal with troopers. Anyone can put wires in a puddle. We can deal with these guys. Normally, Sonic wouldn't be concussed. What do they do to make him concussed? Did they just take him by surprise when they zap him? Yeah, they just caught him by surprise. Because he's huffing about the chaotics going away. We jumped over a whole thing as well. But, you know, in addition to mm. successfully managing to tell this emotional, character-driven story... And squeezing a nice little action scene in, they're also able to spend a full page doing a prologue for the Knuckles Knockout Special. <laughs> oh, yes! <laughs> yeah. Yes, because when the Chaotix... So Sonic, huffing about what Pork has done, he comes over and he finds the Chaotix and he's like, right, at least I can still rely on the Chaotix group. What's going on? And it's because <laughs> they're all leaving. They're all jumping off into the Omniviewer. Still hanging around after... That's why we say that this clearly should have been the very next yeah. story after the end of... Return of Chaotix, because they're still here. Vector says, we have to go. We just got word that Knack the Weasel has escaped from prison in the special zone. Which, you know, I realized is our first real nod to the idea that there is a society in the special zone. Oh, yeah, prison in the special zone. One of the other inmates said he had a map of the Sandopolis zone. Yes. And obviously that'll become a big thing later on. The very idea that there are guys like the Chaotix living in the special zone and protecting it was our first implication that there was anything going on on in there beyond the Omni Viewer and all the fish and everything that you have in the special zone. But the idea that there's a prison and everything, and this will, these ideas will be expanded on yeah, pretty soon, really. Not, not too far away. Mm. 
And it explicitly says in a caption, if you want to see what happens when the Chaotix catch up with Knack, check out the Knuckles Knockout special. And then watch out for more news, dot, 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 Megadroid. It probably was originally supposed to say out now, yeah, wasn't yeah, it? Probably, we, yeah. We've noticed they've had to hastily change the date on some of the adverts. It, was it supposed to be out by now? Uh, oh, uh, yes, yes, it was. It was supposed to, remember the ads originally said the 6th of April, didn't they? So yes, it was yeah. supposed to be out now. So once again, good that they bumped it. I mean, again, if that hadn't been delayed... <laughs> then this really, really should have run some time ago as a story. Like, So, a story's being painted here. There's delays going on, isn't there? That's two different things being delayed for some reason or another. Well, no, that's the thing. I don't know if it is. Because Richard yeah. Elson's also painted Smokey in the Badnik by now already. Well, evidently he wasn't the delay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but that would imply that the delay happened after the thing was finished already. They mm. might have just personally decided to run some simple ones to let the audience cool down after... You know, the action-packed Return of Chaotix finale before they decided to twist their little hearts all up with this one. Ah, uh, yes. Wait, I wonder. Yes. Could it have been that Deborah Tate, let's say, yeah. is looking at some of these stories and going, this is, is a, a bit, bit much. much. Yeah. <laughs> we have some Sonic the Hedgehog stories. As I understand it, he bops robots and shouts at a man with a moustache. Can we have a bit of that? I always <laughs> got the impression when I was reading it that, yeah, you'd get like a big arc. A big egg. Big, dramatic, terrible thing. And then yeah. like two episodes of like filler, essentially. Yeah. Filler yeah. episodes? Yeah, now, something this podcast has been teaching me. As for the filler, I've been regretting some of the opinions I may have shared on the internet back in the day about <laughs> about some of the stuff that went between the big kitchen epics, because like, oh yeah, no, they're grand. But it is that there's a clash. It is, I, I feel as if there is someone going, anytime things get too serious, anytime things get too, I guess, grown up, dial back, give someone something silly to do. Give me a predicto. Give me a mm, mysterious yeah. stranger. Again, it's a Doctor Who thing. It's like um, Love and Monsters. You'll have yes. this massive arc, and then let's just do something silly. Yes. A palate cleanser before the next big arc. Big egg. STC is just Doctor Who, but with Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> But we are very much in that sort of period right now with the comic, because this is an exception to what's sort of going on right now. This is a heavy story, mm. but, you know, it is it is surrounded by... What, what is the next issue tag? Next issue, Voice of the People. Don't actually know what that's about. This is a terrible right. position I find myself in now, of not actually knowing what's coming up in the next issue, since we've crossed over the boundary <laughs> where I was no longer buying it as a kid. Um... But yeah, you know, we finished the big epic, but unlike the last time we finished the big epic, there wasn't still sort of something in the air afterwards that we felt we were, you know, the, like when we finished Sonic and Knuckles, the threat of the Brotherhood of Metallics was still very much in the air and flowing on directly out of that. And before that, when we finished the Sonic 3 adaptation, we'd had the big status quo change of them being forced out of the base and the idea of the, the death egg being on a floating island. But since we finished the Brotherhood of Metallics, things feel wrapped up and the comic is in this between space limbo now where it's trying to figure out what it's going to be next it was a real treat to actually read this one and get something of real substance not that some of the previous ones we've enjoyed in the last month or two haven't been entertaining but it was really good to get something of, of heavy emotional substance mm -hmm. in the midst of this this sort of lighter period where direction is being grasped for and it is this is one of the most grown-up things mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i think i read in any comic ever in my childhood i think this this has got to be it Look at that panel there. We're talking all about the story here. We haven't commented on the art much, oh, but just look wow. at that panel on the second to last page where the uh, trooper is lying on the ground smoking and the way its neck cables are glowing, having been like <laughs> electrocuted and overheated. Look at the way he's achieved that. Yes, because this is Richard Elson at his height, 
you almost don't notice anymore how good it is. That's kind of the problem. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a weird problem to have, but yeah. Searching for new ways to say how good Richard Elson is. Yeah. <laughs> There's simply nothing wrong anywhere in it. I mean, the shades of pink are inconsistent from page to yes. page. That's the worst I've got, you know? The other trouble is that he doesn't really have anywhere to do a big special shot in this one. Like, you know, recently we saw him do a whole page mm. of Metallics attacking. This is just a normal comic. He has to just show the story here. It's easy to imagine this story potentially having been handed off to someone else to do. Yeah, anyone could have drawn this one. Technically, yeah. But the fact that he gets to draw it is mm. indeed further indicative of yeah. its significance. It's only been, like, very recently. Like, I'm talking, like, what, the, the two issues after the Brotherhood of Metallics, the Return of Chaotix ended, that we had an issue without any Elson art in it. Because he's been, you know, for, for the last, I don't know, I can't keep track anymore, what, a year, two years? You know, when he wasn't drawing Sonic, he would be drawing the knuckle strip. So he's become so tied to the visual identity of the comic at this point that he can draw strips like this, not just to further the significance of them, but it's just, they'll always be a bad... I mean, I, I don't know when we'll have an issue without him again. I mean, mm. maybe it's next issue. Who knows? I don't know anymore! I no, don't know! I don't know anymore! <laughs> Anyway, just before we wrap it up, probably should just mention we're kind of talking about Porker like he's dead or leaving the comic oh, or something. Yes. But no, no, he's, no, no. he's going to be around plenty of times in the future. He just lives on the floating island now. He's just going to be Knuckles' mate. Yeah, we've already seen him be Knuckles' mate. <laughs> yeah, he's up there with, with Knuckles, yeah. So don't worry, folks. Porker's still going to be around. He's not gone for good, even though. <laughs> but you you've could... still made it sound like he's dead. He's up there playing with Knuckles. Like it's, <laughs> he's gone to where all the other dogs are. <laughs> he's in that great mushroom hill zone in the sky now. <laughs> The graphic zone is a reach. (laughs) (laughs) St. George's zone. What a talented bunch of boomers you are. First you gave us the green zone for St. Patrick's Day, and now STC selects some eccentrically English tie-ins in time for St. George's Day. A day you all know that it is, and what day it is. A day nobody on this earth gives a toss about. Uh, certainly not anybody reading this comic, anyway. New no. and and as a very much English man, I don't know when. It says here St George's Day on the twenty third of April. That's how I know when it is. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't have told you. That's the sum total of my knowledge about but, this. I wouldn't, you know, have, I wouldn't have been able to guess what end of the year it even was. There's absolutely no unifying theme here at all. It's just anything <laughs> that they can vaguely. <laughs> claim as British. So football, bowler hat. Perhaps the most egregious of all of them is the very first picture on the page, which is a very nice drawing from Andrew Evans of uh, Batley in West Yorkshire, which is just Tails in his nameless zone hero armour. And the English vibe there is that he is a knight, like what they used to have in England. Like knights. Like knights. Very familiar drawing. Have I seen this drawing before? I I feel like it's a, a, a modified version of a panel copy. I think yeah, he, yeah. he's taken the basic of it from something, but then gussied it up. Tails never looked that angry in any of the stories the he thing. ever wore this armour in. He's gussied it up with uh, colouring pencils. He's done lots of shading, mm. and he's made the armour look nice and shiny. He's good. He's, he's good yeah. at what he's done here. 
Um, and then I think they've let him down by squashing it up vertically like they do to fit these things in I feel the like con- we've only just begun drawing attention to this, but it's not a new practice. They've no. been doing it all along. Yeah, I, well, perhaps I just never noticed it before. It's, it's recently that I've really noticed them doing it, and I'm pretty sure this is an example of it. Oh, with the absolute certainty, yeah. It's not that egregious. It's not too bad in this particular case, but it's it's just bad in principle. I'll tell you what else is bad in principle is this one from Vicky Marsh here just next to it. <laughs> What's wrong with it? That, that horse has spines. <laughs> that, that, of course it does. It's Sonic's Sonic horse. Sonic the horse hog. <laughs> yes, it's a, it's a... Yes, actually, the more I look at it, the more Sonic-y it is. He's got four power sneakers on for a start. Yeah. He is blue, this horse. He's got Sonic's eyes and he's got a pink muzzle bit and sort of sonic is ears. sonic ears too. It's a whole Sonic horse. I never noticed Sonic that. The, Sonic it's... the Hedgehorse. And so no wonder then it's one first. Look, it's got a rosette saying first. Of course he has. So that the English connection here is on the horse racing like they have at the Grand National. Yeah, yeah. Sonic wins the Grand National, they've put. Because this horse is being ridden by Sonic. In jodpers. For you must understand, this is not <laughs> what if Sonic were a horse. No, no, no. Because such a thing would not be at all out of place in the graphics. So no, we no, are no. 76 issues into this series now at this point. We have seen much weirder. No, this is... What if Sonic... Isn't it weird how horses look like their owners? I know. (laughs) (laughs) This horse hog is being ridden by Sonic, who is wearing a jockey outfit. A Jod personal jacket. Yep. He's obviously... He's broken into Kinterbor's old lab, and he's trained him up on the gyratosphere. Or yes. scope, depending on which version you're reading. Yeah, so now he's. That's why the horse looks like him because it it broke the sound barrier and experienced the, the cobalt, cobalt effect. effect. Fused its mane into spines. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sel, would you like to describe the next one? Yes, this is a very lovely. It looks like markers or felt tip pens of Knuckles as a king. He's got a scepter, his crown, and lots of money. Yeah. <laughs> He's just robbed a bank. He's just got a big bag full of swag. <laughs> That's kings like they have in England. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Kings are known for their scepters, their crowns, and their bags of swag. Yeah. It's got a dollar sign on it. This is the least oh, English yeah. thing possible. <laughs> <laughs> just it's only registered. I didn't even notice it was nonsense. a dollar. Nonsense, nonsense, nonsense. It's a very elaborate scepter, isn't it? What mm-hmm. what scepter are we looking at? It's got a big green ball gem embedded in both ends by Claws. I want to say this like an emerald. It's a chaos emerald, right? Sure, of course. <laughs> well, I don't know that that's what Glenn Porter from Northern Ireland thought about it. I also wonder what Glenn Porter from Northern Ireland thinks about this being embedded in the St George's Zone <laughs> oh, <yeah>. English day. <laughs> but uh, say, I'll say no more about that. I do also. I am also a fan of Knuckles not wearing pants. <laughs> yes. No. Very important. Looks good. How low does his king robe hang? Is ambiguous. <laughs> the de- the the important detail hasn't been drawn in. <laughs> the next one is from Kevin Hogan, County Tipperary, Ireland. Sonic cops the cup like football, like they have in England. Football, like they have in England. Football. He's scoring a ghoul. Or, no, to give him the benefit of the doubt, it could be (laughs) Gukwul. It's a lower KSA. (laughs) Oh, yeah, okay. Um, Yeah, it's it's Sonic doing a football, and what he's doing here is he's jumping up into the air with the cup. Oh, he's got a pink or pinky purple kit on that says 
Carlsberg and Adidas. He's, he's got obviously they put all the correct sponsorship and stripes and things on it uh, for whatever team this happens to be. Oh, and what's that printed? It's uh, yes, it's a misplaced hit. caption from something else. It says Shell Shock. Shell Shock. Huh. That is evidently not even from one of these pictures. That's just they just had it in the printer still. Hold on a second. Oh. Yeah, that says uh, Shell Shock, and a bit of research revealed. That it is the caption left over from last issue's graphic zone <laughs> in exactly the same spot on the page. Where, where Sonic comes out of a boiled egg. <laughs> so if ever we wondered whether they worked off templates that they had to recreate every issue or if yes. they made them from scratch each time, that solves that problem. They actually have to delete or physically remove if it's old the previous caption before they put a new one and didn't realize that. Okay, but the thing is, so Sonic is jumping up, right? And somehow... This is causing a ball to be kicked by him. He's not doing a kicking motion. Yes, just there's jumped. not a lot of um, spatial relativism going no. on in this one, is there? The cup is hovering behind his grotesque flipper hand. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, I, I like how, how, how Kevin has drawn his head. There's some kind of rubber hosey 1930s cartoon sort of look about the way he's drawn <laughs> a very soft and rounded Sonic with his large bulb nose. <laughs> and the football is bonking Robotnik in the stomach, who's looking cross, and he's got all zigzags of crossness coming out of his head. And he's also got a very researched kit on. You can even see the tops of his hairy legs between yeah. his, his pulled-up long socks and his black shorts or white stripes. And he's got what looks like old purple body armour on top. I'm sure that's just... I don't know what that is. In fact, I don't know anything about footballian clothes. Now, given that he's scoring a Gorkle, uh, <laughs> Robotnik will be done up in the goalie strip of some There you go, it'll be that's that. What it is. That's why it's different. But I do like that the football is not a standard black hexagons football. It is, they've copied whatever the football was at the time. It had gold circles on it, apparently. I take umbrage with that, that in real life they weren't using cartoon footballs. <laughs> that's what annoys me. <laughs> Don't update the design of a football. It's an iconic design. Down below that, Dale Watson from Chesterfield has given us Robin Hogg, which is Sonic with a bow and arrow and a little Robin Hood hat. Yes. Because like Robin Hood, like they have in England. Yes, we do. And, and he's got a quite elaborate chickens? pillar totem thing. Yes, it's like two stacked chickens on top of each other. Is that mm. the pillar from the boss of the Aquatic Ruin Zone? Ooh. You know the robotic bonks on the top and the arrows come And there's arrows. Oh my gosh. He's using the arrows oh, from the boss to fire. Clever. Oh, nice one, Dale. Dale. Oh, that's really good. So, why don't you cover the tennis one at the top there? Okay, so we have Sonic with a tennis racket. He doesn't appear to have any legs. <laughs> no, there's a reason yes, for I, that. Do you remember the I reason for that? I recognise the reason for this one, yeah. <laughs> Was it a trace of a panel where he didn't have legs? Not a panel. It's... He had the spinny. He had the spinnies. Not even. Not. It's not a panel. It's. The, he may. Do you know what? He may have had spinnies, but I don't know. No, it's the cover of the sticker album. Yeah. And of the packets of stickers as well. Oh my gosh! Yes. Yeah, I can see it. That's what that is. Otherwise, I have not a lot to say about this. It's very good. <laughs> no, it's... Uh, mm. I I'll say Daniel Hollingshead from Halstead Essex has definitely busted out the ruler uh, to very intricately do in the netting of the racket oh, itself. Yes. That's quite impressive. You put Yes. And uh, the caption is, you can net. Be serious. Mm. Mm. Because we needed a pun there. 
He's not British, right? Isn't he American or something? Possibly. Don't ask me about tennis. <laughs> <laughs> I think John McEnroe is American. Well, nevertheless, the most British one on the whole page is this last one from Matthew Tovey of Merseyside, Liverpool. Beautiful. Just before you describe it, I seem to remember saying on the next issue page of last issue that there was a potential this graphic zone might just be Sonic characters in bowler hats and umbrellas. Yeah. So I was quite pleased to see. Yeah, well, that's exactly what this is. It's a picture of Sonic. I mean... To my modern eyes, this reads as dressed up as Tom Holland that time. <laughs> <laughs> he's got the bowler hat, he's got the umbrella, and he's throwing up, what, a die? A coin? I can't tell what that is, yeah. I think it's a die. Yeah. I think. Sonic the Hedgehog is dressed as a British-themed stripper. <laughs> in this <picture>. <laughs> <laughs> Nice drawing, though, except just but yes, for the fact is, I can't tell exactly what that is that he's tossing. No, but he's tossing it, and there's not only is there, there's you know, wiggle lines around it to show it's spinning, there's speed lines to show it's being thrown. It's a very good depiction of that action having taken place. It must be a die because if it was a coin, you wouldn't, it's got a big spot in the middle of it that's making it difficult to see what it is. So it's got to be. I can't, I can't swear to it, it doesn't look square enough. No, a coin wouldn't be black and white, like... No, but just judging the age of the kid, like, it's going to be hard for him to draw a cube, isn't it? It could be a pound coin. Yeah, because you're more likely to toss that. I feel like it should be a coin, but it looks like a die. A mystery. Matthew Tovey, you know what to do. (laughs) (laughs) The Ghost Ship Part 3. Written by Nigel Kitching, art by Nigel Dobbin. <laughs> hey, have we done that before? I don't know. <laughs> How have we not? <laughs> art by Nigel Dobbin and letters by Elliot Afell. The owners of the ghost ship, the incredibly powerful Tantaror, have returned and caught Captain Plunder red-handed stealing their idol. While the other pirates try in vain to hold them off, Knuckles, Plunder, Filch and Simpson take refuge in the ship's hold, where they find many Mobians being held as slaves. Plunder is then able to activate the idol's power, which teleports the foursome off the ship to the safety of Pirate Town. I feel like I wavered between Dorset and Cork in the midst of doing that there. As a Dorset local, I think you did a good job. Thanks very much. (laughs) So these things that we saw at the end of last issue that we had some trouble identifying, we couldn't tell the species because the ears were clipped off, but we see now we have a snake, a jackal, and some kind of feline. And these are these big glowing god-like things, and they're called the Tantaroar. Uh, it's the Tantara, it's the Tantaragor Idol. Uh, they are the Tantaror, and this is their ghost ship. And they're like gods or something. It's a snake, a jackal, and a bulldoggy thing, right? I get more of a feline vibe off it, but I'm not sure. I mean, it's it's very Egyptian anyway. You know, there's an Egyptian god vibe. Maybe that's just why I instinctively lean towards Cad, but it's hard to tell. But you see how, did you notice the way they talk, the way that every speech bowl from one of them has a big, massive, huge, bold, capital letter on the first word? I love that. Bit of the old uh, time bandits there. We restore the idol to us. It really reminds me of the dinosaur one. Mm. And they used to speak a lot in, um, the lettering was different for the way the dinosaur spoke. Yeah. Mm. So doing that again for this one is beautiful. This is going to be a strange sentence. Okay. I think when I was a child, I preferred Ellie DeVille's lettering. <laughs> <laughs> But as an adult, 
Eleta Fell seems to be the one you go to if you want really different lettering effects. Yeah, I used to, like, challenge my mum. She would, like, I'd give her my stack of SDCs and be like, oh, do that. Show me this and I could tell you exactly. And I could tell who was the letterer. Yeah! Who was the colourist. Wow! Was, I was really, really obsessive about it. And I was so proud of myself. I couldn't do it now. I don't get you guys. Yeah, Chris could do that as well. And I'm- I can do the letter and still I can tell if a letterer has been miscredited. We have a long, we had a long, we don't know that anymore, hallway. And I put all my STCs in a row and I said to mum, mum, pick one. And she would just pick one. I'd go, right, okay, Carl Phillips, the artist. <laughs> the first artist is Richard Elson, writer, thingy, thingy. You know, I would know it, like Ella Deville. Oh, I thought you meant that she would open it and point to a page. You mean like no, you'd memorise no, them without no. even opening the comic? I was really, oh, no. really <laughs> obsessed human spreadsheet overall though not a lot to comment on in this one i don't think it's just a chase story you know mm. the pirates throw themselves at the tantaroar and they just scatter them with bolts of energy fired from the tips of their finger without a a single bit of effort you know they try to run back to the floating island but they sever the rope i presume they don't fall to their dooms but it's a little vague and, yeah, Plunder and co. find all these slaves in the bowels of the ship, which goes back to what I was speculating about at the end of yeah. last issue, where they have these, yes, these other Mobians in shackles with the Tantoror, or what they have returned with. They are not the pirates themselves, and show at the end. Don't know why they're gathering slaves. We'll find out as we go. It's only part three, innit? Lots more to come. <laughs> yep, and it all resolves with Captain Plunder figuring out how to activate this statue that warps them off to this lovely Pirate town. town that Nigel Dobbin has drawn us, where it's sort of like built up the side of a hill and it's loads of little, lovely little houses and there's an inn there and oh, just, oh, it's just really nice. Plunder says the idol is a transportation device and he wants it to be the most feared pirate on Mobius, so I guess he's planning to use it to like teleport into bank vaults and stuff. Yes, it just looks like quite a nice place, doesn't it? <laughs> the little town from Papa. I mean, thank you. Uh, did you see the strain on my face? Not I was waiting for you to make the reference, so I felt it was my it, job I'm to. I'm just you aware gonna... that I talk about that film to an annoying amount, so I was holding it in. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, that's what this looks like yet. Although even more, like more vertical hmm. than that. It's yes. built up this cliff. And it's, oh, it's lovely. And I want to go there just like I want to go to the little town in Popeye. And you can. I might go there one day. It's still there. Do you have to get on a plane? Yeah, that's the trouble. No, you never go in there then. Sorry, Dave. <laughs> Where is the town in Popeye? It's in Malta. Oh, Malta. Yeah. And it's a little Popeye theme park now. And yeah. you go there and there's people dressed as Popeye and stuff. Oh. But you want to put on your best Captain Plunder cosplay and go there and get yeah. some selfies for this. Yes. <laughs> I got pirate town. Anyway... Stop me talking about Popeye or okay. I'll continue talking about it. But yeah, no, I, I don't really have much else for this one. Like, it's no. good. It's real good. Yeah, it's real good. Looks beautiful. Beautiful. As always, you can expect... Uh, Simpson gets some dialogue. He hasn't got... He's just been funny in the background. And now we... God, I can't believe, actually, how, like, well Dobbin draws Simpson. Yeah. Because Simpson seemed such a uniquely Nigel Kitching-y creation mm. to be this weird little black-and-white two-dimensional cartoon creature plunked into the middle of this world. Dobbin's art was so beautifully real media. It was watercolory. Yeah. It was just so nice. And then you've got this like black and white 
obnoxious cartoon. Yeah. But he's somehow taken the design and, yeah. and made it his own. It's beautiful. L- look at that. Look at the shot there on page. What page is it? Page three. They're coming. They're coming. Oh, I'm too cute to die. That is literally the one I was looking at. Yes. Couldn't you reach out and squeeze him? Couldn't he just honk his big shiny black nose and, and just pinch his chubby <laughs> cheeks? Like, look at him. Yeah. If you pressed your hand into him, it would leave an imprint. You know, he looks so soft. <laughs> I always loved how Dobbin drew normal characters like the villagers or mm. the, like the NPCs or whatever you mm. want to call them. That aardvark. Is that what he is? Yes. I think he's an aardvark. Well, probably, yeah. Probably, yeah. The quite droopy-faced one. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. he's an aardvark. They're all just people. They're all just dressed as people. And so they've got, you know, normal shirts and jackets and things on. Mm-hmm. Which I suppose kind of Johnny Lightfoot and them do, but... I don't know, they, Dobby's made them look more normal. Yeah. I don't know which STC artist I would point to if I wanted to point to the one who most successfully rendered the idea of generic Mobians. It does feel like every artist kind of has their own take yeah. on the idea. You know, mm. think about the little beautiful British storybook creatures Casanovas used to draw mm, on yeah. his strips. They, these have a sort of similarity with the way Richard Elson would draw them, where they're just people bodies with animal heads on them. Mm-hmm. But Dobbin is sort of drawing like a cartoon version of the real animal here yes. whereas Elson yes. will always try and kind of draw like a Sonic Universe version of yeah. the real animal but it'll still just be on top of a people body rather than a Sonic character proportion body yeah. I don't know who you could really point to and say achieved it the best you know you know, it's, it's a weird one but probably Carl Flint hmm when you think about Techno's design, uh, yeah. she was three heads tall. She had the real Sonic character proportions. Yeah, yeah. I think it depends on which Sonic universe you are introduced to Sonic through. The true and real one. <laughs> the true real one. Like, I played the games before mm. the comics. Yes. So to me, the animals are tiny little critters. Mm, yeah. And there are no people. Yeah. So So you'd get along better with the Casanova's ones where it's just like a... Yes, a, I loved them. A squirrel in a waistcoat in a tree and stuff. I loved that stuff, yes. But they do look like British storybook characters. Yeah. They don't... Like, like the yeah. way I imagine Mobians is... The way Richard Elson used to draw Johnny and Porker before they yeah. got freedom fightered up. Yeah. They are essentially the game animal sprites blown out to mm-hmm. sonic height. And yes. that's it, you know. The same way all the little line art illustrations from the Bible and Stay Sonic of all the other animals rendered them, you know, as mm-hmm. being yeah. cartoon animals with little wings and big feet and everything, you know. That <laughs> that's how I still imagine them today, you know. I just noticed there Bottom of page five, after Simpson's done his, they're here, they're here, oh, flipping egg, what are we going to do? And he's done his big run around. I just noticed him there in the uh, in the background of the final panel. He's just fallen over all that and out. So that's a good story, but mostly it's there to lead us into the next part of it, so we'll have to wait and yeah, see yeah, what we're happens. Kind of, we're get, it's about getting off the ship, getting to pirate time. Yeah, because this feels like a... Total scenario change. What's the story about now? It's yeah. not about a ghost ship anymore. Uh, yeah. What about all those slaves? Are they still just on the ship being slaves? They are. Yeah. They? They, oh, the only ones got out were, were Plunder Filch, Knuckles, and. Um, I mean, Knuckles is really a passenger in his own strip. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. this yeah. was. I'm just realizing that, but yeah, the, the, this was an issue of Captain Plunder. Yeah. <laughs> the, the reason we haven't really flagged that up is because we're perfectly happy for that to happen. Yeah. <laughs> love a bit of Captain Plunder. Pinner. Well, here we are again. Another artistic triumph. Yep, three, three, it's just three, it's one, it's one picture of a Spike Spadnik three times, the end. It's the wrong colour. Yes, I thought it looked wrong. They're meant to be pink, aren't they? They're, they're purply pink, yeah. Yeah. Pink. 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 But it's not the first time Badniks have been coloured wrong in these pinups, mm. and um, 
Probably won't be the last. No. They must be running out of these. I know, surely. <laughs> what, what else is... if they're When you're down to the spikes. <laughs> you know what's funny with these things? I know they're meant to be a hermit crab, right? Yeah. And that the yellow thing is the face. Yes. And then it's got the eye stalks yes. and the blue thing is the spiked shell it's towing behind it. I'm stuck seeing it the way I saw it as a child, yeah. where this is a big angry mouth and this is just their big chin. <laughs> Who's that artist that's going to bug me? Who's the artist? That's Ferran Rodriguez. Has always been doing these bad Nick pinups. How many more can he have left in him? <laughs> we'll find out as we go along. Just a madbird! Just a Perhaps the most deceitfully phrased <laughs> opening line of a compo slash advo that we've had that we've yet seen win 25 million lego Whoa. bricks for a, for a day uh, with milky way uh, because what you're actually winning here in this this is an advert compo thing what you're actually winning is a trip to legoland windsor yes which i guess they must have counted has 25 million lego bricks in it yes or they just make up a number because it doesn't matter for the joke really um yes. legoland windsor just recently opened at this point. Oh, yeah. Fairly recently. Like, well, here's how recently it was. We go there for my brother's birthday, which is in a few weeks. Oh, diary zone. And it's not finished yet. Oh, right. It was a, a little bit sparse. I understand now, because it's still there, as far as I know, and I understand it's quite the attraction. But at the time, it was a. Uh, it had plenty in it that was good. Like, it was a good day out, but uh, it felt a bit unfinished to me. Just looked it up. Opened on the 17th of March. There you go. Not even a month. No. Before this. Not even a full no. month before this issue was out. But the thing is, like, up until this point, we knew about Legoland in Denmark mm. or wherever Legoland was. We knew about it, and I really wanted to go there, so I was very excited about a Legoland opening, and I was very excited about finally being able to go to one, so I would have been keenly eyeing this advert up had I not just been there anyway. <laughs> you know, there are souvenir-like items in this house mm. that indicate this family undertook a trip yeah. to Legoland. Right, but you don't call any. No memory of it. Maybe I wasn't there. Odd that you would have been left behind. Maybe it was many years later when I was old oh, enough yes. to be. I genuinely I have no idea. The best way to get to Legoland Windsor, it says here, is practice, is to make a trip to your nearest sweet shop and buy a Milky Way. Every special Milky Way wrapper gives you the chance to magic yourself away to more Lego bricks than you've ever seen. And if you're really lucky, you won't just win a visit, you'll win a party there for hey. you and your friends. If you're under 16, you need your parents' permission before you enter. So what are you waiting for? Ask! <laughs> Ask! <laughs> you can get your first taste of Legoland Windsor next time you bite into a Milky, Milky Way. Way. The magic's in the Milky Way. The magic's in the Milky Way. That's obviously what they were replacing the treat you can eat between meals with. That must have been around this time that they'd realised they couldn't keep pushing that line. I don't think we've described the picture, have we? Is it worth it? It's so bad. <laughs> like, the picture is a, a little Lego setup that somebody's made where on a bit of ground with a couple of trees and bushes they made out of green blocks, there's just a sort of wall with a, what do you call a welcoming hole in it? What do you call a welcoming hole? Oh, matron. <laughs> what do I mean? A gateway? A gateway, a sort of decorated gate, you know, with a, like at a theme An park. Arch. With, yeah, with little flags coming off it, and it says Legoland. I guess that's the official Legoland Windsor logo, but doesn't the Windsor look like someone's just written it on with a pen? 
free hand. It absolutely has. I I wouldn't have jumped to concluding that was the official logo. No, <laughs> it uh, does look like somebody look wrote that it. on there with a biro. Uh, yes, I think they have. There's a, a now. Oh, now in the uh, in the small print here, because they can't get away with making you buy their product. There is a no purchase entry route. We've had this before in a previous. Yes, on the previous Milky, Milky Way, Way, I believe. Yeah, yes. I think so. This is the one where you just write to them and they open a Milky Way for you and presumably consume it. You don't pay them any money or anything. No, nope. you just say, just please check a Milky Way wrapper for me. We will let you know within 14 days if you have won. Let's assume that they do open a Milky Way <laughs> and they do consume it because it doesn't say they won't. That's totally fair and above board. We're not going to waste it, No, go to waste. And then if you win, they write to you and say, yeah, you won, in you come, it's Legoland for you. But something tells me the winner probably wasn't picked that way. I doubt it somehow. Shining Force. The Curse of Xeon, Part 4. Written by Nigel Kitching, art by Martin Griffiths, colours by Gina Hart, and letters by Tom Frame. The Shining Force make their way to the archaeological dig in Ribble, where a disciple of Xeon shoots Bowie with one of the guns recovered from the ancient armoury, wounding him so badly that even Taya's healing powers may not be able to save him. Meanwhile, on Grand Seal Island... It does exactly what it says on the tin. <laughs> Zeon's disciples are setting up a nuclear bomb from the armory to destroy the tower, thereby releasing their master from his interdimensional prison. You joke about Grand Seal Island doing what he says on the tin because it sounds like Ron Seal, but... No, I mean, it, it is the island where he is sealed oh, yeah. away. It really does do exactly what it says on the tin. Yeah. So this sort of skipped over the whole rest of the second act of the hero's journey this Fine serial was going through, right? I make no complaints about that. We were just saying at the end of last issue how it felt like maybe there should be another adventurer added to the party somewhere along the way. It felt like they had to journey some more before it was time to get to the end. Yeah. Well, it just jumped right over the whole journey yep. and our story begins with them arriving in Ribble and heading on into the underground dig. I enjoyed this one. Yeah. They're leading back into the thing that we were the most interested in which is that yeah mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. all fantasy but they've got our guns they've got modern human weapons and we sort of you know it was in the middle of the recap but the big reveal at the very end of this strip is ah we've uncovered the ancient magic that's the most powerful and could destroy the thing and it's a nuke this idea has really only dropped out of the third part now it's back in the fourth you know they have the yeah. I do wonder about this gun mm. that the Disciple shoots Bowie with, because it's definitely one of those uh, 1990s children's cartoon laser guns that the police yes. had to use because it was, you weren't allowed to have them shoot real guns, except it actually does fire a real bullet. A bullet comes out of it, and they have to extract the bullet from the guy, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't know if they're just drawing it this way as if to imply that this is what guns will look like by the time the apocalypse rolls oh, out, yeah. you know, in the future. Yeah, that'll be it. I'm sure that is probably it. Other than which, it's, well, it's a lot of fantasy journeying around and the summoning of the big evil head thing. Yeah, we get a look at Zeon here. They do like a ritual and his big glowing head appears in like a big swarm of light that they summon up. Possibly coming out of a crystal, would that be? It looks like there's a crystal there, right? Mm, They're doing it in yes. the armory, but it doesn't seem to be because of anything in the armory. Because obviously, this has all been in motion already, so so he's been communicating with them somehow before this thing was ever uncovered. Yeah. And he's like, Alright, is it going alright? Okay, I won't see you again then, <laughs> until I'm summoned. Next time you see me, I'll be summoned. Bye! <laughs> what is it he actually says? 
I grow impatient, Cadaver. You said you had discovered ancient sorcery powerful enough to destroy the tower. I have, Master. I promise you. Good. Then I shall not contact you in this manner again. <laughs> it's just going to take <laughs> it. Bye. It's like, bye. Yeah. <laughs> so what did you make of Shining Force then? So not one of the more popular uh, serials, it seems, in the grand scheme of things. But we're quite enjoying it so far. In the grand scheme of things. You know what, honestly, I didn't read it as a kid and, no. and I skipped over it when you told me to uh-huh. read the comic. Uh-huh. <laughs> you didn't even read it now. <laughs> you didn't even read it for the podcast. Hey, she's bringing the authentic experience, I guess, of being a 90s kid reading That's very true. <laughs> authentic in that I skipped it as a kid. So I'm being true to myself. <laughs> Look, it looks great. Like, there's nothing wrong with it. I just don't care. I know if I had still been buying the comic at this point, I would have read it. I'm pretty sure I would have found it boring as a kid. But I know I would have read it because I did obsess... You know, for somebody who could obsessively identify all the artists and letterers, so you sit there and claim they were just bits of it you wholesale didn't read. No, I could say exactly who did the art and the lettering and everything. I just didn't read it. I just didn't care. But Dave, this feels like one that you would have skipped as a kid too. Oh yeah, skip this. I mean, well, or I read it and didn't form memories of it at all. Like it's... No, this wasn't... This wasn't for me. This wasn't what I was here for. Not anymore. Not after the Sonic and Knuckles and Brotherhood of Metallics and all of this stuff. Like, yeah, I'm not here for this anymore. Well, I mean, what else is in this? We get a bit of what you expect, really. Um, Mm -hmm. They come charging... At the guards, at the dig, Chester takes one of them out with his sword, doing the old uh, sanitized kids' violence version where he hits them with the flat of the blade of his sword, you know. <laughs> Taya takes out the other one and Bowie staggers in with a sword too heavy for him to even lift over his head, too late to do anything. So you get exactly what you expected from the character interactions that we deduced off the end of last issue, where Chester is yeah. the blustering, experienced warrior who thinks this kid ain't up to much, you know. I thought maybe he was actually going to make a pass at Taya here at the end of this. Who made him the leader of the Shining Force anyway, in the way she's sort of rolling her eyes. Before I read the dialogue in the panel, I thought he was maybe doing a bit of the old nudge-nudge-wink-wink, and she was like rolling her eyes at him being that kind of character, that the Han Solo, as it were. That seems to be the one trope in this collection of characters that they have chosen not to pursue, because this comic, primarily targeted at young boys, would not be interested in any of the old kissy-kissy stuff. No, God no, no. <laughs> So to me, then, the highlight really is is this moment where they are shot by a gun with bullets in it. And, like, even the guy who was going to shoot them with it was like, um, I- I'm warning you, I don't think he wants to. I think he gets the sense that this is something a bit gross that they shouldn't be doing. And they have to extract this bullet with magic. So it really is this upending of the fantasy thing where all these fantasy characters are going like, what is happening? What is this? And I like that aspect of this. And it's made oh, me yeah. far more interested in the strip as an adult than I ever was as a kid. What match is fantasy for the power of gun? <laughs> <laughs> I like it though, like they, they think nothing of this little thing in this guy's hand. He's got this massive golden sword, and this guy's got this little, yeah, little handheld thing. And he's like, "What good can that even do?" And down he goes, you know. Uh, uh yeah, it was, I mean, this is the first time a gun's been fired in the pages of STC since. Uh, Mark Miller. I was going to say Streets of Rage, but to be honest, there are probably a few guns fired in that Shinobi story with the Yakuza. Oh, so, yes. Real gun, I should say, because obviously there are plenty of laser guns in oh, songs. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> God, God, yeah. Couldn't have a comic without laser guns. 
Did Nack not have a gun? Oh, yeah. But remember how it was weird how it had a barrel and everything and it really looked like yeah. it should shoot rays, but Knuckles yeah. pulled the trigger and it just went... Just made wiggly lines come out. <laughs> yeah. But I was like, I love Nack because he is a cowboy. Cowboys have guns, therefore... See, I think of Nack as more of a crocodile Dundee than a cowboy. Uh, well, yeah, he's a bounty hunter. Is he a bounty hunter or is he an outlaw? He's an outlaw. I lo- that's what I loved about him. I love that he was just this nefarious, naughty guy. Yes, but everyone's an outlaw in this. Amy's an outlaw. Johnny's an outlaw. You know, I said outlaw. Well, what I really <laughs> meant was dirty thief was early, I think, the, yeah. the phrase <laughs> I was shooting for say. there. Nack is someone who would have been an outlaw if everything was still nice and remains yeah. that way. Of course, it's no surprise, Sal, yeah. that you would be so into a dirty thief whenever you came into the world of Sonic. Feeling your way so in, like offended by the accusation. <laughs> Did you go in with a sneaky hat like Nax to do your thievery? Oh, I wish. <laughs> it's not too late. You got one yet? I do have a Nack hat. There you are. Anyway, I think this chapter of Shining Force has pulled things back around. After I think I found my interest wavering a little bit there on part three, mm-hmm. part four has yes. brought focus back to the things that you and I did. I think we're enjoying about it so far. So uh, just kind of swept all that fantasy hero's journey, never-ending story, wandering around nonsense out the way, and got got back to the bombs and guns. (laughs) I'll not have never-ending story dissed on this podcast. I just mean the kids (laughs) doing their little fantasy journey across the land, meeting their friends and allies as they go. I don't know why never-ending story was the first example of it I could think, because it's the most sanitized, kid-friendly version of it I could think Mm, of. And one of them, one of them's a horse, I suppose. <laughs> oh dear. Next issue, the fate of Bowie. <laughs> well, <laughs> don't. Black don't. I see where you're going with that. Do not. Q zone. Such as it is. I mean, there's, there's nothing. It's the same as last time. It passwords for Echo the Dolphin. We got, what was it? Passwords for Echo 2 last time, yeah. and now passwords for the original Echo this time. It starts, the codes and cheats listed below are guaranteed to be accurate, which is a mm-hmm. strong statement for this comic, because yeah. half of them seem never to be. Given that my copy of the previous issue had something handwritten over one of the passwords that implied <laughs> it was wrong. <laughs> Maybe that's why. Yeah. So, okay, so I read it wrong then. The codes and cheats listed below are guaranteed to be accurate this issue. <laughs> I think that's the emphasis that they're, they're looking for. Pay attention when entering them. Mm. And you will get the most from Echo's Aquatic Antics. They've listed a bunch of, uh, I guess, the names they give here are people who were writing in asking for Echo passwords. Yes, it just says, so to name just a few Finn fans, and then they start naming people, but they don't say why. We have to assume it's because they were writing in, <laughs> but they might have been writing in with... They might have sent STC the passwords. We don't know. It just, they just start listing yeah. people. Here are some people. Ian, Ian Jackson. Jackson. Christopher Coolstock, <laughs> Karen Mays, Andrew Chan, and Luke Ruby. So well done to all of them for whatever it was. For whatever it was you did. <laughs> Next issue, Micro Machines 96. If that's yeah. just passwords again, I'm going to throw myself off something. Tales. Fox on the Run, Part 4, written by Lou Stringer, art by Carl Flint, colours by John M. Burns, and letters by Steve Potter. 
Tails is able to escape the bonds Fleabite puts him in, but Tantrum remains in the Bounty Hunter's clutches. Remembering their experience in the tunnels, Tails encourages Tantrum to throw a tantrum, and the mouse's high-volume wheeling soon causes a rockfall that buries Fleabite, allowing the pair to get safely away, and for Tails to finally get Tantrum home safely. I should love the series. As a cowboy, Knack the Weasel, <laughs> oh, yeah. bounty hunter person, <laughs> I just hate it so much. <laughs> like Carlton is a great artist, I love him, uh-huh. and the story is great. But there was something I just do not like the Tom and Jerry dynamic. Right, I'm sort of somewhere between because yeah, this isn't my sort of strip, but. On this show, we do appreciate that at least it's Tails actually having an adventure that he is directing in some way. Mm-hmm. Which yes, is I mean, rare for him. That's where I land. It's like more Tails stories with this ethos, please. That's where I come out at the end of this. Tails wins the day, gets a happy ending, and heads yes. off to face the next adventure. No, oh, Sonic will never believe this one. <laughs> or I hope I don't have to go through that again. It's like, no, it's like, this is an unassumingly transformative four-part serial for Tails This, where they finally transition the character out of these weird stolen valor, mistaken identity hero stories he doesn't want to be a part of, to him actually being a competent hero in his mm-hmm. own right. Even if it does involve, you know, helping a tiny screaming mouse. <laughs> <laughs> and that's mainly what happens in this episode, isn't it? The tiny screaming mouse is helped by Tails out of a number of scrapes, as has been the case up till now. Tails essentially cocks and loads him and uses him against some rocks to defeat the bad guy in this one. Yeah, because last issue, when they were in the caves underground, like Tantrum had a tantrum and his screams caused the cave in, and that meant they had to go off through the caves instead of just being able to fly back out through the hole. Mm. So, you know, set up and pay off, yeah. innit? But yeah, Fleabite uh, puts him in ropes and Tails tries to just take off and fly. You know, he's got his hands and feet tied, but his tails are free. So he takes off and he Fleabite's lifted up behind him and he's like, shoots up at him. But he winds up shooting the ropes and uh, falls back down. (laughs) You know, it's funny. Back at the start of this, I was saying Fleabite is like three or four things, depending on whether or not you count a cat as being a thing. And you don't necessarily (laughs) count a cat as being a thing because it's the world of Sonic. So you can be an animal and that doesn't necessarily have to matter because he's a cyborg cowboy bounty hunter and he's a cat but you know god bless Lou Stringer because he makes him being a cat be a thing here as well when he he shoots the rope and he's sent plummeting back down to earth and he just flips over in the air and he lands on his feet (laughs) us cats have a knack of landing on our feet (laughs) and I suppose is Tantrum a mouse yes he He is is a mouse mouse. yes I don't feel like the cat mouse thing is any kind of intentional dynamic no not really because um, it doesn't play it's not played for anything no i suppose there is an element of tom and jerry about it but only a very very small one mm-hmm. and no it's never brought up because in this tom has got a cyborg arm and a laser gun <laughs> <laughs> some very loose stringery uh, lines in this one too Tails says, you may have tied my arms and legs, but if you got back my tails, Dumbo. <laughs> <laughs> or whenever Fleabite lands on his feet, he then grabs Tantrum. Back off, Fox, or Mousy gets one grand pappy of a headache as he presses the gun up to his face. It's like uh, back off or Pinky gets a new hairstyle from that one yeah. time the trooper Badnik had a gun up against Amy's head. Yeah. He likes lines like that. And another uh, another panel of a Carl Flint character going, <laughs> throwing their arms and hands up in an odd yes, way oh as yeah. the rocks come down on uh, on Fleabite. 
Yes, he's really having a flail, isn't he, in that one? Darn varmints. Also, why does Tails have... Right. Perhaps I'm just <laughs> taking some kind of umbrage with the way that Carl has interpreted the adventures model here, but, like, why is he drawing him with three sausages instead of flicks of hair? That just seems like Carl Flint to me, to be honest. He, mm-hmm. every, everything in Carl Flint art just kind of has that cute rounded edge. I guess, but, like, why is it... What, What's the meaning of that? Making them rounded? Their hair? It's really weird. Soft and cuddly. It's fluffy hair. I suppose. He's a soft, fluffy fox. It's not what it yeah. looks like to me. It looks like he's got three fingers of a washing up glove stuck to his head or something like that. <laughs> That's odd. I'm a little surprised that uh, Tantrum's mum actually calls him Tantrum. <laughs> because well. we know Tantrum's real name is Tristram. Tristram, yeah. Tristram. And... To be honest, she doesn't even look like the sort of mum who'd name their child Tristram. She she mm. is like the mum from Marco's Magic Football. She is that she's the curlers in the hair northern British picture postcard comedy mum yes. uh, that you would expect to see in a in a low stringer strip. But you know, I, I don't imagine that mum would have called their little one Tristram. No, <laughs> no, but I can imagine them calling him Tantrum. All right, come on, Tantrum, it's time for tea. Yeah. Oh, that's true. I can't actually know. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> and that is a story that I have nothing to say about other than that. Really. I'll be glad to return to Sonic and the gang. Whatever dangers I face with them have to be a doddle compared to looking after that mouse. Wee. Look at that. Tails hungry for the yes. next adventure, you know? With a smile on his face and a cocksure DreamWorks eyebrow. <laughs> oh, no, I'm down with it. You yep. know, want to bet? The end. And that's it for Tails for now. So I guess Tails is not a fixture just yet because next issue hidden danger in Sonic's world. But no, I have definitely enjoyed this strip because mm. I think it represents a very important evolution for Tails and I like Fleabite. He has an accent. Tight-fisted Knuckles. Dear Megadroid, please could you tell me Knuckles' surname, age and birthplace as I am a tax collector from the floating island and it seems to me that he needs to pay his bills. From the tax collector, Adam Hodgson. Trickenham, Middlesex, Sonic, and Knuckles camera winner. That's an odd one, isn't it, for a kid to send in? <laughs> I think he was trying to be really clever. Like, if you're going to send a letter to something, you you know, hi, Megadroid, love you, whatever. Like, yeah. <laughs> you need to do something edgy and cool and different. You've got to have a gimmick to get in. Yeah. In my head, the story here is that Adam Hodgson actually wants Knuckles' surname, age, and birthplace, and he's yeah, come up right? with That's, a gimmicky yeah. way to get it. <laughs> That's what I was getting. It's like a deranged Knuckles fan mm. trying to get private information about Knuckles by posing as a figure of authority. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a little bit like, for convoluted reasons, I need to see a picture of Sonic's feet. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <obvious>. <laughs> yes. Megadroid replies to that one, not even an echidna escapes paying tax, eh? Mm. Not, even, not even an effort to answer, even though we know he was born on a floating island. And according to Sega, he does have a certain age. Yeah. I forget what it is. Yeah. His surname is the Echidna. The Echidna, yeah. These are questions with answers. Yeah. Doggone! Dear Megadroid, STC-72's scratch and sniff sticker was terrible! My dog took one whiff and ran off faster than Sonic and Knuckles put together. <laughs> Carl Jones, Gwyneth Wales. I read it, but I forgot about it. That's brilliant. <laughs> uh, Megadroid says, in this case, Carl, I'm glad I only have a sense of humour and not a sense of smell. <laughs> What a poor dog. Can you imagine that? <laughs> <laughs> Gruesome Twosome is the title they've given the last one here, which comes from Jason Francis of Plackton on Sea in Essex, who says, I'd like Sega to make a fighting game starring Porker and Johnny, mm. as I think they're both underused. <laughs> they could both use big poles as their... <laughs> <laughs> 
They can both use big poles as their weapons. Yeah. Uh, res- referring presumably to, to Johnny's staff, staff yeah. but I love the idea of big, big poles. poles. <laughs> <laughs> and Megadroid says, don't you think they're given enough stick already, hey! Jason? Hey! Hey! That's a good one. That's a good one. The picture to the left here is... Mm. Uh, it, it corroborates that sentiment in a what feels fairly transphobic way. Mm. Yes, this is a misstep from the past here by the editorial team. Yes, on the part of the editorial team, not on the part of Yvonne Waddle from Glasgow, no, no. Scotland, who no has problem. sent in a picture of girl porker. A pig. Well, yes, it's a pig. You know, it's a, it's a female pig wearing a yellow skirt with green flecks, a nice orange top with purple flowers or squiggles on it anyway. Mm-hmm. All the usual facial adornments yeah. of femininity we see in these drawings. Yeah. Yeah, Eyelashes, lipstick, rosy cheeks. Yeah. Facial adornments of femininity. <laughs> <laughs> and quite a little mouth on her, this one, actually. Um, it's like a frame from Rex the Runt or something. It's a, an Ardman mouth, this. Mm-mm. I was worried by the way you phrased that, but you pulled it back. <laughs> what did, what? Quite a little mouth on her, this one. That's <laughs> <laughs> the way you chose to phrase that, uh, that sentence. Yeah. No, I'm talking about Selena. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I described the picture. You have to read the caption. There. Okay, all right. So the problem with that, there's nothing wrong with the picture. The problem here is that the caption they've gone with is... <laughs> <laughs> the pressure's too much for Porker. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's not great. Yep. Then the other picture, to move hastily onward from that, <laughs> is from Amy Ellis in Halifax, West Yorkshire, and it's Sonic Riding Echo, and yes. it's being stretched out yes. sideways again. Editorial team should apologise to both Yvonne and Amy this episode. Sonic rests his legs and lets Echo take the strain. Oh boy. I mean, that's the... That, that's about it. Not much, uh, not much to say on that one. Sorry, no. sorry, Amy Ellis. <laughs> I like that they included the stars on Echo. Yes, that's nice. Well, how else would you know? It was you Echo? can tell it's Echo, and just not some just random dolphin in yeah. a video game <laughs> comic. <laughs> Could be any old dolphin if you didn't put the stars on him. <laughs> it's your letters. It's your letters. It's your letters. It's your and that is all we've got in the STC's mailbag, but we've got our own mailbag, which you can get in by writing to stctpodcast at gmail.com. We've got one here from Angel Bless. We know Angel Bless. Yes, if you follow our Twitter, you'll see that Angel draws a, a, a picture every new episode. That's right. There's a little draw-along illustration to illustrate a, a concept or a moment or... Oh, she's done some very nice ones which have brought to life some of our most ridiculous ramblings. <laughs> yes, and also shout out to Mina Harker who does the same thing. We get a couple of yes. drawings every every time we put an episode out. I can't believe we're lucky enough to have two people doing that every episode. That is fantastic. Thank you so much, by the way. I know, no pressure. You don't have to do it every episode. Yeah, no, yeah, but we <laughs> love it, you know? Yeah. You do. I mean, definitely, the drawings from those two talented people resulted in the first piece of nice chap fan art that anybody's <laughs> created in thirty years. Yes. You know? Oh, we should we should add Russell T Davies into that. He'd be delighted. I did, but he's not on Twitter anymore. Isn't you he? know, like he's got an account, but it's not uh, active. You know, he hasn't tweeted for over a year. But I added him in there anyway, just to be safe, because <laughs> I feel like he would have appreciated if he ever saw it. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, so uh, it says, dear STCTP, I cannot. Thank you enough for such a wonderful podcast, reviving my love for Sonic the Comic and all the nostalgia of the 90s, as well as inspiring and supporting mine and others' draw-along art over the past few months. I am more than a little excited for this year, because 1996 is the year I began to read Sonic the Comic. 
Starting with issue 76. I was seven years old, but previously had a run-in with STC with issue 38, mysteriously found in the reading section of my infant school class. Yes! yes! Uh, Unfortunately, I didn't realise it was something I could ask my mum to buy for me until years later. In hindsight, it was a strange issue to start on since so much backstory was lost on me, but I embraced it anyway instantly getting a feel for everyone's personalities. Yeah, well, it's a good issue for that. It's a good issue, yeah. Good character-driven issue to introduce you to everybody. Yeah. Honestly, just the front cover is a good uh, issue for that. Mm. Yeah. Like, Teals gets no FaceTime in the Sonic strip itself, mm. but, like, then he's but got then his he own gets... strip, which is actually giving the character credit for the first time in the comics pages for a long time. Yeah. It's actually a really good issue, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Haley got a feel for everyone's personalities, and sure that I would figure out the context later. I absolutely did. Staying with STC up until its very final issue, re- prints and all Ooh. well they were they were for your type weren't they you missed the first several years of it perfect yeah of course i don't know if they came out in any kind of sensible order but but whatever mm. as we've established they didn't in the original run either so <laughs> i think it's safe to say that the reason i'm creating to this day is because of stc i was drawing sonic before i discovered it but richard elson's art inspired me more than i could have possibly imagined i used to make my own sonic comics which were passed around the class with much excitement hey. and even wrote to richard around the end of 1999 I asked way too many questions, and if he hears this, I would like to personally apologise for being such a nosy kid. <laughs> oh, I'm sure Celine has got you beat. <laughs> oh my gosh, I do. I stalked him. I stalked him physically. <laughs> but his response was so kind and encouraging, and I still have the letter to this day. Aww. I wanted to be an artist for STC more than anything, even believing I could cycle from Nottinghamshire to London every day as a commute. I've since learnt what a silly claim that was, but one thing that hasn't changed is how much I still aspire to be a part of the comic and its community, be it fan art, fan comics, or any other way I can. I often wonder what my year six teacher would think. He once wrote on my school report that I need to stop talking about Sonic. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, sir. Some things never change. All the best, guys, and thank you again. Looking forward to each new episode, as always, especially now we're on the parts I was around for as it happened, from Haley, a.k.a. Angel Bless, Game Gear and Dreamcast owner, sadly not a Sonic and Knuckles camera winner. Where would we be now if we'd all stopped talking about Sonic on our teacher's wishes? I was told off (laughs) in A-level art and GCSE art for drawing Sonic stuff. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I drew a bunch of like cartoony stuff, whatever. Yeah. They sent me to one side uh-huh. during an exam. During during an exam? Yeah, yeah. My school was shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> uh-huh. During an exam, like, can you prove that you can draw it from memory? Like <gasps> you don't. Oh. So I was like, okay, yeah, fine. And I drew like a fox or whatever. Yeah. And they were like, oh, okay, you draw a fox. You clearly copied, you memorised your Don Bluth and Disney images in your head. Uh And I was like, well, no, I didn't memorise it. I drew it. That's what, just... That is what drawing is to some yeah. extent. Yeah. Knowing what something yeah. looks like yeah. and then drawing. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. Literally, during my GCSEs and my A-levels, they took me to one side and did that stuff. Oh, God. Ooh, that, yeah. that comes across as kind of creepy to me. It was horrible. No. It was really mean. Like, yes. I'm not good. I'm not, like, a, a good artist, but that really threw me back, which is why when I went to uni, I did English. 
Because mm-hmm. I was not going to do art because I'm apparently bad at that. Ugh, there's too many people in this world who have been shamed out of pursuing artistic yeah. interests by bad teachers. She is good at drawing. Like, isn't that <laughs> no, your... I'm not. I'm not. Isn't that your job, though? Don't you go to all the conventions and sell drawings of foxes yeah, it and is, things? It is. Well, then. I, I... <laughs> it is. But I draw like hot anime boys. That a big counts as good. I'm at conventions. I'm told, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I got another letter here that I like. I got STC banned at my school. It goes like this. Hello, Humes. I've greatly enjoyed the extended walk down memory lane your podcast has afforded me. I thought you might like to know about how I introduced STC to my whole primary school class and subsequently got it banned from school premises. So, STC was the first comic I properly collected, and I built up a sizable collection. At some point, I was convinced by my parents that they were taking up too much room. Mm. So I decided to donate them to my primary school class. Oh, man, well done. Very good, man, yeah. During the first rainy playtime, eh, after my donation was installed, a classmate discovered that I had left the pin-up in every issue. They came over, and they asked my permission... It's a whole class of good little boys and girls, isn't it? <laughs> Asked my permission to remove the pinup and keep it. Well, permission denied, I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah, well, I told them that as far as I was concerned, the comics weren't mine anymore and they could do what they liked. A regular Johnny Lightfoot, this kid. Thank you. Wise beyond your years. This proved foolish. What did I say? What did I say? <laughs> Word soon got out, and the whole class was soon searching through all of my old issues for their favourite poster, ripping them out and trading them between each other. Oh, it's a whole underground playground economy. <laughs> this sounds great. Swapping Sonic posters on the playground for cigarettes. Well, the toffee apples. If this sounds at all familiar, sadly, this was the era of the Pokemon card craze, Ooh. and tradable toys of all kinds were strictly forbidden in order to avoid fights over them. I don't think it took longer than the end of that day for the teacher to have a quiet word with me explaining that my comics were a very nice gift but they were going to have to get rid of them. No, wait, what? Oh, but it was only the, the poster. We stick the poster and leave the comics behind. How did they get rid of it? Burned them in front of Threw them in the school incinerator. Heated the school for that day. If it was that the, one of the teachers took it home for their kid, that's acceptable. If it's that no. they threw them in a skip... No, it's not acceptable! <laughs> So there you go. STC proved too popular to be allowed. And that is from <laughs> Michael Gallagher, Mega Drive owner. I do like that phrasing. Would you go so Wait, far, so- Davis, to say perhaps that uh, that STC hmm? proved to be uh, too cool for school? Oh, dear. I'm very pleased with myself. <laughs> Presumably that experience is why Mike Gallagher then went on to write for Archie, isn't it? <laughs> I missed the Pokemon thing. I was there for the Pog thing. Yeah, same. It, yeah, that, that's the thing. We just craved collecting something. It didn't matter what it was. Yeah. You can't take that away from kids. You can ban the things. They'll come up with something else to swap. Do they you will. remember the little babies? <laughs> you might know because you're boys. But yeah, you, no. There were little babies. And you get like a blind bag. And they were like scary babies. What do kids love to trade today? Apps, probably. Wordle, 
clues. <laughs> I play Wordle. I'm down with the kids. I play Wordle. No, but you know, there have been a lot of things like, like from the last couple of years, like, you know, LOL Surprise and Grocery Gang and Moshi Monsters. That was a big one from the last, you know, that's couple of years. That's old now, yeah. dude. I know, I know it's monsters. old, but it's like, I'm thinking it's like, that's the last... God, that could be seven or eight years ago, actually. Oh, you know what it'll you know what it'll be? It'll be be flipping NFTs. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I bet all now. the kids in the playground are really shelling out their <laughs> yeah. F for NFTs That's right. to trade yeah. around. Putting down two hundred and fifty thousand F for sweeties at break time. <laughs> <laughs> I did the last time I was in Tesco before the pandemic. In the toy section, there was a really good set of little figures about the size of a thumb, the top bit of your thumb. They may have been grocery gang. They were like food. Yes. Little food guys. They were really good and I wanted them and was jealous of children. And then I had a little bit where I was annoyed at a hypothetical child I'd made up in my own head who doesn't want them because they're an old-fashioned toy like I'm into and not an NFT or something. (laughs) And I was like, no. Kids these days, even though the evidence was there that they're getting the stuff I like. <laughs> well, I reckon that brings us to the end of this issue. Uh, next issue, as as forewarned, free button covers. Yeah. Covers, covers for your buttons. And you may be wondering what such a thing is, because I certainly would have been. There's a picture. Mm, there's no image of the cover or any art or anything here. There's just a picture yeah. of a little plastic circle photograph. Yeah. Bottle top. The way they chose to trail them here is to say, there, dot, 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 and then the illustration of the button cover has written across the top of it, crucial. Yes, a thing that... Was that something we said? No. <laughs> that was I didn't think it was. Previous I generation, I think. Crucial, uh, as a euphemism for cool or, yeah. or good. They're crucial. But, I mean, the way, the way it's being used here is to say, you know, they are essential. You must you must get them. But I don't imagine that's why it's written on the button cover in the first place. They're, they're making hay here out of, um, out of a bad situation. <laughs> button covers. Jesus Christ. Even in the photo, you can see what, like, a really ugly little hinge that's sticking out the side. Yeah. It just, just okay. looks like an accidental bit of sprue or something, doesn't it? We've also next issue got Complete Story, Sonic, Uprising. New two-parter, Sonic's World Revolution. Ooh, sounds no, big. No, that's wrong. It's Hidden Danger. They've got that wrong. Revolution is the <laughs> final part of Lou Stringer's Brutus trilogy. Oh, uh, not. It's, it's not that. It's wrong. Okay, whoops. But the problem there is that these words are all on a theme. Sonic, Uprising, Sonic's World, Revolution, Revolution. Knuckles, Uproar. Shining Force. Outrage. Yeah, so they kind of goofed on that. But then there's also Review, review Zone. It's Toy, Toy Story. Story. Hey, the Review Zone. The Review Zone's going to be Review back Zone. Yeah. Oh, the review Zone. Toy Story. What more this time possible thing than a review of a Toy Story Mega Drive game? To be fair, the Toy Story game was really good. Was it? I, I had it. Was that yeah. the one that had the 3D, like. The uh, Donkey Kong Country yeah, style, like pre, so pre 3D good. rendered sprites, but moving on a 2D plane. Yeah, of course. That's but there you... was like a 3D, um, I think it was like for the Martians. It was like a Doom-esque. Oh, that rings a bell. Yeah, it was like really? a Doom-esque thing. And it was on the Mega Drive and it was so good. 
Huh. And the the reviews own next issue will tell us all if that's the one we're talking about here. Yeah, it'll Sorry. tell us all the <laughs> options available on the title screen. Oh, <laughs> well, it depends. I mean, it's not probably not going to be Tony Takushi or David Gibbon May doing the be. reviews. Who who knows? It'll probably be Chris Jones. He's the only yeah. bugger left. Seems to be creating any features <laughs> for the comic anymore. <laughs> and the uh, Cubesone Micro Machines ninety six uh, says TC number seventy seven on sale Saturday the twenty seventh of April nineteen ninety six one pound and twenty pence. One pound twenty. I'm angry. I remember when it was ninety five p. Yeah, <laughs> I remember when this was all fields. <laughs> so, Sale, how have you found this issue then? Genuinely lovely. Like, I'm so much more relaxed. I think, like, just shouting the shit at you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I still haven't told you about all of my escapades on the Sonic bus. Right. Tell us your escapades. Why the hell oh, yeah. not? Before we go, do share this story. Okay, so I'm I'm Southwest Country Girl and I go to the Great Dorset Steam Fair every year of my life. I have done for a thousand years. And oh. then one year back in the nineties there was the Sega bus and it was the, obviously the Sega bus. Sega bus. And I was like, Okay, cool, let's check it out. And I went on there and I won I've got downstairs the certificate. Um, I got two certificates, but um, you've got to get us a photo of it for the Twitter. I yes. will do. I'm very proud of them. Everyone's lined up, and the way to win it was you had to just get the most points at doing what? The Green Hill Zone. Everyone just played and did their game, and I got to the special zone, and I got the Chaos Emerald, and I Ooh. got the special. I got the most points because mm. I was and then I did it again, basically. <laughs> she got off and just played again. Didn't we have a letter from someone who had a similar story where they, like, everyone else thought they had to speedrun it, but they were like, oh, I'm going to get all the badniks, I'm going to get all the rings, yeah, I'm going to get really? the points. Yeah, I think so. Oh, we should fight. Yeah, well, well. <laughs> That's what I was just thinking. <laughs> you should play the Green Hill Zone against each other is what you should do. Yeah, everyone was, like, speedrunning it, and I was like, no, Chaos Emerald, done, yeah. boom. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, if they're still listening, yes, let's fight. In the street with <laughs> knives. Yes. Yeah. Or just charity stream. <laughs> oh, yeah, there you go. There you go. Now, speaking of the Sega bus, we haven't actually heard anything about it for 1996 or not. Mm. I don't know if it was still running then. But I suppose we'll be able to find out in future issues. We're heading into the summer now. They'll tell us if there's any Sega bus activity in 96. And you can find out along with us whenever you're looking for our new episodes in which these secret bus dates will be revealed or not you'll be able to find them uh, you can download them directly from our website at stctp.wigglehe.com or they are most places good podcasts are available online as well you can follow the podcast over at twitter that is at sonic podcast that's all just sonic podcast or you can find us separately there i'm at demon tomato dave i'm at chris mcfeeling and i'm at reaperfox.com no, I'm not. No, stop again. And I'm at ReaperFox on Twitter and Instagram and everywhere, frankly. Yep. She draws hot anime boys that you can go and buy. <laughs> I do draw those. Big market for it, I'm told. <laughs> I did draw a hot Knack the Weasel. Come to me when you want Knack the Weasel content. But I isn't that it. just like any drawing of Knack the Weasel? So everyone, go and commission hot Knacks of Selena. <laughs> Do you want to get some hot knacks? <laughs> Cut all of this. I hate this. <laughs> <laughs> if you've got any money left over 
from commissioning a hot knack, you can support this podcast on Patreon, patreon.com slash stctp, where a donation of any amount will grant you access to the bonus vault, where we usually put up uh, two videos a month, videos where you have to look at us, although we do actually offer an audio alternative, if you can't bring yourself to. Yeah, if you can't stomach that. We go through the Martin Adams series of novels that were published here in the UK. We're now, oh, what are we, about halfway through, nearly through Sonic and the Silicon Warriors? What? I'm obsessed with those books. <laughs> I'm poor. I don't subscribe to you. <laughs> I didn't realise you were doing that. Oh my god! Yeah, we've been doing it the whole time. Yeah, we got, got Mar- Martin Adams did an interview on. with uh, James Holy Wallace. Yeah. Oh my god! I need to subscribe. Clearly, I need to subscribe to your Patreon. Well, well, well. The trouble is that there's something else that we do that you may not be into. Um, when I was 15, I wrote a fanfic called The End of Mobius, and for the last what two years two now, Chris? What's it been? Year and a half at least. Yeah, I have been torturing Chris. This isn't Chris. the one that you stuck online a thousand years ago. I have been tormented. Did you ever read any of that? Yes, I did. <laughs> Spoken like someone who's been in the trenches. Yeah, this was 1997. I'm writing this big fanfic about how Sonic died and all this stuff. This is so me. The, the edgy bullshit that we had when we were like 15. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I have been torturing Chris by reading that to him. Over on the Patreon, you can go and see that. Patreon.com forward slash STCTP. I am going to have to subscribe because that is terrible. I love it. (laughs) That's so freaking cool. I love that you're doing that. Cool. No, no, shut off. He's genuinely cool. (laughs) It's so bad. I don't know this guy. You and me. (laughs) It's pretty bad. I'll send you the link. Wait till you hear it. <laughs> Our opening theme song is called Synchronize. It's by Sonic the Comic the Band. That's a band called Sonic yeah. the Comic. But we are Sonic the Comic the Podcast, and we'll see you next time. Didn't even bother joining in there. Next Dave. Picked time. Up your phone. You're f-ing done, aren't you? Yeah. You're just over. You're just finished. Now. Yeah, you're checked Completely out. Over. Listen, I can dub my next time in at the end. <laughs> <laughs> say i'm so sorry we don't have a cat uh it looks like you do oi